Hi everyone, this is Matt Price, host of Dynasty Game Night. My co-host John Bosch and I created this podcast for one reason, to focus on fun. After all, fun is the reason we all started playing fantasy football in the first place. I love games of all sorts, card games, board games, video games, really any kind of game you can think of. So one day, John and I decided it was time for a podcast where we just play games. You might learn something along the way, but you won't find much hard-hitting analysis here. Check out all the other incredible podcasts DLF has to offer for that sort of thing. On Dynasty Game Night, our primary focus is to entertain. So if you like playing games or watching game shows, this might just be the podcast for you. We'd love for you to give it a listen and play along with the contestants and maybe even win a chance to be on the show. Chicken a crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, play run fold, so. Jake on the table and Nate on the play, so. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical. Picking my nose, don't really know if I like that. Picking their brains, got their lanes, but I like that. Picking these guys, all of these times, all of these nice stats. Picking apart, the film is an art, always a fight back and forth. There is no order, they disorder more and more because the players ain't no older. They some hoarders or some mortars, dropping bombs without no borders. They got that eye, I like mortar, peak grinding numbers like molars. I don't know anymore, I am at a crossroads. Chicken a crow, chicken a crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfolds, so. Jake on the table and they on the place, though. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical. Chicken a crow, chicken a crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, play run fold, so. Jake on the table and they on the place, though. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical. Hello and welcome back to the Dynasty Crossroads. My name's Peter Howard at PA Howdy on Twitter. I'm normally joined by my co-host Jake Anderson at Jake Anderson FF on Twitter. But as anyone who's listened to the show for the last three weeks knows, he's currently raising a newborn baby and is probably going to be MIA and is probably going to be MIA for at least a couple more weeks, if not a couple more months. Hopefully, we can get him back by the season. We are blessed to be um, filling in with a bunch of really great co-hosts who stepped up in his absence. And this week we have Eaton from the Dynasty Diagnostic Pod. Eaton, how you doing? What's new? What's happening? Tell I'm us good, things. man. I'm good. I'm I'm really excited to be on the Dynasty Crossroads. Uh, it's something that I've been wanting to do for a long time. Really happy that I actually got the uh, the ability to do so. Uh, Jake Anderson, um, I am taking over your spot. I just want to let you know. I'm um, sorry that you had to find out this way, but you know things happen. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah I'm, I'm I'm really excited Finally. for this. Uh, I think it's gonna be fun. <laughs> It's great to have you on, Ethan. Really excited to talk to you. Um, I've really been trying to figure out what to do in Jake's absence. So I've been rethinking the Dynasty Crossroads, what it is, what we do. Uh, I always think about it as just a regular argument with Jake. Um, but thinking about it, you know, like a professional in terms of what the podcast is, what its meta is, what we actually do. It's really talking about different evaluation processes, how you evaluate players make a judgment on whether you want them and who you want them over because really it's all about cost more than whether you want them on your roster it's more about what cost and what's happened talking to outhouse and jesse the last two weeks it's just kind of turned out that we ended up talking more about how you evaluate players and i realized that's kind of a thing and so 
I'm going to try and get as many guests on that I either don't know enough about their process or I want to know more about it. Um, and this week it's Eden. I'm really interested to dig in to the way that you evaluate players or the things that you use to separate them out when thinking about drafting them or not drafting them or trading for them or anything else. The best way into that conversation right now is probably rookies. Do you have anywhere else? that might be a better place or you're okay to talk about rookies tonight? I'm absolutely okay to talk about whatever you want to talk about. I will say that uh, I do like to look at veterans a little bit more than rookies because rookies, I mean, they're, they're a crapshoot as you all know. And it's not to say that, you know, what's going to happen injury wise or, you know, trade happens and, and that kind of affects the whole landscape of what you were looking at before. You never really know what's going to happen, but at least with veterans, you can at least kind of get an idea of how their team feels about them. And that's really one big thing in, in kind of my way of, of doing things, my method of, of looking at the whole dynasty landscape. I want to value players how their teams value them. I don't want to value players how I value them. I don't want to value players how metrics value them. I don't want to value players how their breakout age or market share values them. I want to value them in the same way that their teams value them. So I'm really paying close attention to things like contracts. I'm paying close attention to things like uh, the other potential targets in their offense and how long they're, uh, at least for the foreseeable future, going to be on that team affecting uh, that total target share. So that's that's really what I'm, I'm, I'm looking for when it comes to evaluating players. So when I'm evaluating prospects, Honestly, um, talent is secondary to me. If I'm evaluating prospects, the, the number one thing that I'm looking at, even from day one, is landing spots. So I don't really get any joy from from having rookie rankings before the draft or anything like that. I just I don't find the usefulness in them. Give, give me a second to get warmed up here. All right, dude. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I, I love the fact that you went just straight from my heart. You were like, yeah, market share, breakout age. Uh, like, you just went straight for the kill there. I really appreciate <laughs> that you're going to fit around here really well. Because um, that's what we're all about here. Just go for the heart. Uh, don't don't mess around with, like, body shots. Just go straight for the head. Go straight for the heart. Uh, I really enjoyed that. Um, but before we get into it any further, I do want to mention that we have, um, and I forgot to mention it on the podcast last week, we do have a ticket, a golden ticket, to get into the Scott Fishbowl this year, Scott Fish, the Scott Fish Bowl in its ninth edition. Um, we're going to announce the winner of that ticket this week. All you had to do to be entered was to leave a review um, and p- take a screenshot of it and then send that to Jake or the Dynasty Crossroad handle with your name. Um, lots of people have already done that. We've got them in a pool, and we're actually going to do the drawing at the end of this episode. Either fast forward to find out if you've won or, or stick around to hear the results at the end of the episode to see who's got a golden ticket into the Scott Fishbowl 9. Um, all right, now having laid out everything we need to know, not really, about your evaluation process, let's start with... And hopefully we'll get to go with some veterans. You know, everyone I talk to that's good at fantasy football or interesting or knows a lot always has to mention that really we should be looking at veterans. So just to lay that out there, that if you haven't already cottoned on to the idea that players we already know are good are better value than rookies, there's, there's just another reminder for Eaton. But um, let's just start up with your rookie ranks. Like um, how would the first round go? If you had every pick, um, but you also cared about the order you were going to draft them in, I guess. Um, who would go 101, 102, and 103? See, like, I don't even think that's that's fair with every pick. So I, let's modify this a little bit. Let's at least go back and forth. Okay, if it's it. fair, answer it. <laughs> pick 101. Uh, are we assuming that this is not a super flex? I think, is that where we're at? Yeah, let's just, uh, let's, let's do that. 
<laughs> I don't need to hear okay. Kyler so Murray. So if we're assuming that it's not a super flex, because, just... yeah, it's Kyler Murray. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, assuming it's not a super flex, then I think the only logical one-on-one in this draft, um, I, I think it has to be Josh Jacobs. And I know this is an argument that you've heard before. I know this is an argument that pretty much everyone else has heard before. Some would say Nikhil Harry. I know we're going to have some some chirping back and forth about that in a moment here. But for me, um, I'm I'm concerned about this year. So I, I play dynasty in two year windows and I think you're really doing it wrong. If you're trying to project anything farther out than about two years, because so many things can change in that time period. So if you're looking at two years, you're essentially looking at right now and right now, Josh Jacobs of all the rookies drafted has the easiest pathway to volume has the easiest pathway, not only to carries in his backfield, but also targets in his backfield. And if you're looking at the uh, Oakland uh, Raiders offense as a whole, I mean, this kind of bodes well for having a pass catching back that can looks like at least he can be a three down player just because they don't have uh, another guy to really spell him for touches on that offense as currently constructed. So, I mean, you have Antonio Brown uh, and Tyrell Williams. You're not going to be able to uh, fill the box as much as you would um, just uh, last season uh, in in Oakland. So I think for that reason, you have a guy that's going to be there that's going to get, you know, 15 plus touches a game. And you have an offense that is not going to allow them to have so many men in the box to make it that difficult uh, for a guy like Josh Jacobs to do what he does if it's on the ground that he does it that game. So I think that that it's got to be Josh Jacobs all the way. I think the detractor um, argument for a guy like Nikhil Harry uh, for me is, yes, I, I love his college production. I love I mean, I'm, I'm sure you're going to get into all the specifics uh, right now when it comes to uh, not only his breakout age, but um, his college dominator, everything that he's done is elite. I get that. And I understand that. But not even making the he doesn't separate argument. I'm looking at it as Nikhil Harry as a player is best to use as a big slot. He's not going to have that opportunity off the bat in an offense that already has another slot weapon in Julian Edelman. Now, I do believe that he is going to be used on the outside as well as in the slot. I do think that Bill Belichick and that Patriots staff are smart enough uh, to go ahead and rotate pieces where they're most useful. Um, But I don't necessarily see him really being that team's focal point. And if you're looking at how that team is going to function for the last two seasons, that's been a running offense. That's been an offense that's going to focus on getting it done on the ground because Bill Belichick always seems to zig when the rest of the league is, is, is zagging. If you're going to take more and more off of the plate of a guy like Tom Brady, uh, that's just going to be less and less opportunities, fewer and fewer opportunities for a guy like Nikhil Harry. Um, I think New England Edelman is the number one in that offense. I was hoping that Nikhil maybe would have uh, a free reign on uh, that slot um, workload next season uh, when Julian Edelman left, but his new contract signals to me that I think the Patriots are, are going to kind of play this season as they've been been playing currently because or as they've been playing in the recent history just because they've they've obviously experienced success with it. And that's just being able to rotate backs, being able to have a guy like James White in the backfield when you do want to do those short passes that are basically runs for that team. Um it's harder for me to project volume for Nikhil Harry than it is for a guy like Josh Jacobs. So for that reason, I would have to pick Josh Jacobs because in a year from now, I believe Josh Jacobs will be worth more than Nikhil Harry. That's not to say that he's the more valuable asset down the lines, you know, uh, end all be all. 
That's just to say that if I want to go around and flip these guys in a year from now, if I want to sell a guy in a year from now, I'm going to be able to get more for Josh Jacobs than I will for Nikhil Harry. You know, since you already went for the heart, I thought maybe we just start out right there. Like, could I ask you who you like more right now, DJ Moore or um, Sony Michelle? DJ Moore or Sony Michelle? See, like Sony Michelle has injury issues that DJ Moore doesn't have, so I'm not sure that that is a fair comparison. That's uh, all kinds skate, of guys. Skate, block. <laughs> but uh, I, I really do think that. Um, a guy like DJ Moore should still be valued more than a guy like Sonny Michelle, but I would definitely pick a guy like Nick Chubb over DJ Moore uh, because I, I believe that Nick Chubb, at least in public perception, uh, doesn't have the same injury fear uh, that a guy like uh, Sonny Michelle does. And because he produced in his first year in an offense that we all expect to improve, I would think that a guy like Nick Chubb would just be worth more um, to somebody in a trade right now than, than DJ Moore would. But, I mean, ultimately, uh, long-term, uh, I do think that DJ Moore has all the skills to be a, at least in, in, in target share. Got it, got it. How about we go with a guy with even more draft capital and no injury history then? How about Rashad Penny and DJ Moore? I don't think that's close. I think that's easily uh, DJ Moore um, because not only uh, does – Right. I mean, DJ Moore has has the long term value just by virtue of being a, a wide receiver. Not really my point. My point is, would we be surprised if Josh Jacobs is a first round running back going to Oakland, if his first year fell somewhere between Rashad Penny and Sony Michelle? Because the other running back we have to compare to DJ Moore in his draft class is Saquon Barkley, and we're not expecting that from Josh Jacobs, right? No, no. So I my overall point is, if he falls somewhere between Sony Michelle and Rashad Penny, then his value going into year two is going to be closer to Nikhil Harry than maybe everyone almost says that. So I don't think it's as crazy to have the wide receiver over the running back this year. Yeah, but the difference in those two situations is that Nikhil Harry is not the number one. But DJ Moore didn't do... That's what they said about DJ Moore and Christian McCaffrey, and that's actually what turned out to be true in his first year. He wasn't the lead receiver. He did okay. I think there are some remarkably positive things about DJ Moore's rookie year, but he didn't break out into the top 24 and top 12. So we don't have to actually have a lot from Nikhil Harry to see him meet the same value as DJ Moore does in his second year. And um, like he, he doesn't have to finish as, as a fantasy relevant wide receiver. Either. Yeah. I just think the value this year where it's normally rests in the running backs. And I said that myself, if you're mostly looking to win, mostly looking for value, then you should lean on the running backs. For me personally, I think that that's a fair argument to think about the range of outcomes for Jacobs and Nikhil Harry are probably closer together than most years for most running back ones and wide receiver ones. But um, again, I, I thought I'd return the favor and go for the heart. But <laughs> um, I really do like your idea of reading situation. Like one, one someone posted the other day to me, and it was a really good point that our, our, our science of landing spot, he said it really well, and I forget the way he put it, but our science of landing spot is sickly. And um, is how I remember it. I just thought it was a really good quote. And where you seem to focus on that, and I kind of love that idea, because it's different. Like, how do you go about um, evaluating the opportunity for someone like David Montgomery, who you said it had, you had it too, I think, um, compared to someone like Miles Sanders, for example? How do you how do you start to assess their uh, opportunity to vo- for volume? That's really difficult to do. Um, I think it's actually really similar for both guys. 
Um, obviously, uh, Miles Sandler's is, is the guy that uh, I guess pops a little bit more athletically, but uh, David Montgomery could arguably be in the better offense. Um, that's that's to be seen. But um, but when you look at David Montgomery, he's in a backfield with Tariq Cohen, who you know is going to be used in that offense. Um, I don't necessarily know how the split uh, between him and Mike Davis is going to be, but you would at least assume that Mike Davis is going to get some workload as well. And then when you move over to Philadelphia, uh, Miles Sanders, uh, Jordan Howard is probably the better back at the goal line. So you're saying there's no situation that sticks out either above the, uh, between the two of them. I, I really don't think that there is. I mean, like you could what do you argue, think about the Eagles preferring a committee? I, I, I don't read too much into coach speak. Uh, obviously this is what, uh, you know, Doug Peterson has, has done uh, as a coach. There's talent that would make you think that a committee approach is what's going to happen in Chicago. Uh, just the same. I think when you balance the coach speak versus the actual competing profiles in the Chicago offense, that it's a wash between the two of them. Is there something in particular that you focus on when trying to read a situation for a running back? Like, um, is it the coaching history? Is it the overall rushing attempts for the coaches or the team? Um, I would say that uh, I do look at offensive lines and I do look like I do look at adjusted line yards uh, quite often. That's something that I cite pretty constantly. And looking at it from that perspective, then uh, Miles Sanders is clearly in the better offense just because uh, he has the better offensive line in front of him, at least by the numbers. I think Chicago, um, at least their run blocking was uh, in the, the bottom area of the league. I think it was something between 28 and 32 overall last season, whereas Philadelphia has had a, a decent offensive line for a number of seasons now, and I think they even added that uh, added to that offensive line in this draft. So, um, what do you read for situation in terms of wide receivers? Is it just uh, passing volume? Again, I, I, are we talking mostly for the what the coaches do, or most what the team has done, or what you project for the player or the players have done? Like, where do you go for predicting the situation for wide receivers? So, wide receivers is a little bit easier for me because running backs, uh, there's so much that can change year to year. I mean, there's a new running back in that group, and that volume split can can almost completely flip. Uh, a new wide receiver introduced to an offense, um, it's usually not that quick of a flip. And even if it is, that's not like that wide receiver is relegated to the bench. That wide receiver is just relegated a, a spot below where they were before, and they're still able to get the volume uh, to get pretty much the same level of production that they had before. What I look at uh, for wide receivers is I, I'm really looking at the contracts of the receivers in on their offenses. I want to see how long that they're going to have a significant competition uh, in that offense. So, for example, let's bring up a guy like Allen Robinson. Um, Allen Robinson was coming off a, a bad injury um, last year. Uh, he, he still did relatively decent. A lot of people were disappointed with him, but his per game numbers weren't horrid. Uh, but when you look at Allen Robinson this year, if you're actually trying to ascertain the value of a guy like Allen Robinson, I think it's really, really important to understand that this is a make or break year for a guy like Allen Robinson because of the uh, wealth of talent um, at the wide receiver position on that offense. You have Anthony Miller, uh, who is there, who with a separated shoulder last season was able to be one of the year's breakouts. Um, you also have uh, guys that they uh, had in the draft this year. You still have uh, Javon Wims. I really don't even want to say the name Riley Ridley, but he exists in that offense, and that's not even uh, bringing up guys that they signed last year like Taylor Gabriel. <laughs> and they have uh, Trey Burton. They also have 
like we talked about before, to Reed Cohen in that offense, who essentially can be seen as a pass catcher, the level of the wide receiver on that team. So if Allen Robinson doesn't fire this year, uh, there's a good chance that the team just walks away from him because his contract is structured uh, in a way that they can do that. Let's kind of see some of that in practice, if we could. Like, I think you've got a wide receiver two you mentioned that you thought I was going to flip out over. So let's let's make me flip. Like right now, fantasy football, uh, fantasy pros uh, so a redraft focus ranks in other words have the uh, rookie wide receivers ordered Nikhil harry dk metcalf paris campbell as one two and three separated out by about 20 or 30 um ranks each and what's your top three i could give you a top two i could do top three but my, okay <laughs> I could do anybody for me but I think Debo Samuel is the wide receiver too in this class. And I think that's because he has the easiest pathway uh, to targets in this class. I do like the talent of Paris Campbell. Uh, he was very productive in college. I'm not going to necessarily say just because his A dot was a certain thing in college that that can't change in the pros, even though that's been relatively sticky going from college to pros. I do think that there's something to be said of having the skill set of being able to be a deep burner. I just don't see when he gets on the field. And even if he gets on the field with all the other targets they have in Ebron, in T.Y. Hilton, in Funches, who they just signed for the year, they still have guys like Deion Kane that we haven't even necessarily seen anything from. I think it's going to be really, really hard for him to immediately produce. And I think you're going to have to wait a lot longer uh, to see anything back from him. I think his value, uh, while it may stay kind of where it is uh, one season out, I think after maybe a second season of not necessarily seeing you know, a thousand yard season from him uh, is going to take away from that. Whereas Debo Samuel to me only has to beat a guy uh, like Dante Pettis to be able to take that wide receiver two spot. Now I know that's, I mean, that not wide receiver two, that wide receiver one, but target number two spot in that offense behind George Kittle. That goes back to my question. Like, where do you think targets come from or where do you find they come from? Like when you were talking about the Rams, you mentioned that they don't use a tight end. Do you think that's because they don't have a good tight end or because that's what the coach's offense um want to do and you know that goes back to Debo Samuel do you think the targets that you hope he gets and it goes without saying I hate that fucking rank but I mean <laughs> do you think it comes from who you think he is or what the coaches want to do more let me let me start by saying I don't think that anybody after Nikhil Harry is going to have a significant number of targets this year period um I, I just I don't oh, think that, that that's what this wide receiver class is shaping up to be but um I, I, I know your argument. I, I'm Peter. mostly shocked that you think even Harry could. <laughs> I think I think Harry's going to be in line for some volume, but that's that's neither here nor there. What I, I, I know your argument on wide receivers is that talent begets opportunity, and, and talent is the reason that these guys get targeted as often as they do. And I agree with that, um, but I think you also kind of need to understand that it's – it's it's a slippery slope. I mean, these guys can only produce as much as they're asked to produce. So if your head coach is determined to pass it to the running backs, you know, 12 times a game, 15 times a game, because that's how his scheme has worked uh, throughout his entire career. And that's how he's gotten wins uh, maybe in college and into the pros and what he's doing now, then that's going to take away from the overall target share uh, of the, the rest of the guys remaining on that team. So you have to be really cognizant of the other pieces and how that coach has utilized those other pieces in his past. It's really interesting. And it really is a slippery slope trying to project talent because frankly, we can't even define it. I define it in like, um, I define it after it's happened. The talent is when you've earned a significant target share for multiple years. So it's only something I can prove after they've done it. And talent really just isn't 
another word of saying player that continually earns volume. And what I'm trying to do is find signal for what those players, similarities between those players, wide receivers and tight ends, that turn out to be that in the NFL. Like I say, it's slippery slope on all the metrics that help, like market age and breakout age, have slim signal at best. I just take take the signal that I can find. Um, but to go back to your point here, could you maybe lay on me some examples of some, like what has led you to believe that wide receivers are more restricted by what they're asked to do, at least initially. Like, I, I, like that's what I want. I want some examples of it to provide some signal that the situation or what the coaches are going to ask them to do matters more than any presumed projection of talent. So you're asking me to quantify something that is pretty much <laughs> unquantifiable in terms of what, I mean, like what a, a coach has or what a coach's philosophy is. Um, I, I'm not sure if I can give you an example on, you know, uh, when uh, it was talent in this situation versus, you know, this was uh, a team that that just needed to pass to this guy any more more often than another guy. But I would say that you can kind of look at it a little bit from the team perspective. I would value a guy like Tyler Boyd right now. So let me toss this back to you. I think that Tyler Boyd is very, very valuable right now for a number of reasons. Not only because he was a good wide receiver last year, he was an efficient wide receiver last year for at least half the season because of the situation that he's in. AJ Green is still yet to be signed. So on that you can kind of, if you want to play it out in your mind a little bit, say, okay, well, he's yet to be signed. He's 31 years old. He has been suffering injuries over the last couple of seasons. If he were to not be on that team anymore, then obviously Tyler Boyd would need to be the number one, at least initially, even if they were to get in uh, somebody like a rookie to, to to get that number two spot. So you could project a, a volume increase for a guy like Tyler Boyd, regardless of his talent, because the coach needs somebody to pass to you. So uh, it's not coach. It's not coach speak for me. It's not uh, a coaching history solely for me. It's how that team has shown us that they perceive, they, they perceive this player. I mean, teams are really only honest with us when they draft players and when they actually spend money on players outside of that, we really don't know. And the rookie, the rookie scale, the, the built in rookie wage scale doesn't really even give you any separation on, on those guys because they all come in at the same rates that uh, aren't negotiable anyway. So you need to kind of give it long enough in the league for the team to be able to point you in the right direction as to what guys they have the most faith in. Yeah, it's really good. I like the, I want as many different ways of thinking about things as possible. Like I want new ideas and you seem to have a really unique perspective. I'm really excited to hear about it. And I, I think it's going to help me. Uh, I really do. But like, I'm not, it's not even quantification. It's more, I need to have, I need it to have happened before to believe it can happen again. And obviously some things happen for the first time, but this doesn't seem to be something you believe in just because you think it's going to happen for the first time. And, and like two examples I can think of, he got almost never above a 17% target share, I believe, to a place where he was seriously dominating targets especially in the red zone, after Cup went out. And also Amari Cooper, who earned targets before he didn't when Gruden took over and had to go to Dallas before he started earning targets again. And that, those could be two examples of how, you know, what a coach wants to do, who they want to target, affect who gets targets. So, you know, just helping you out there. The two examples that really seem to fit your argument. I don't think a wide receiver like Tyler Boyd becomes a one just because 
AJ Green's gone. Uh, last year he did great because he's a great wide receiver, but I don't think he's an AJ Green type. That's my best guess anyway. I hope he can be, but like I don't think he can dominate targets the way AJ Green does. I think who the player is determines the volume they get and what and then obviously what they can do with it. Is the points that you get from that, and and I'm with you. I don't think he's going to be AJ Green, but I do think he's going to be a top 14, top 16 wide receiver for the next several seasons. And if he's forced into a situation where he gets a bump in volume because of potentially the departure of somebody like AJ Green, then regardless of how we necessarily feel about him dominating those targets, he will still get them because of the lack of other alternatives in that offense. See, I don't think that's the way. I don't think that that is how it works. Like I think Tyler Boyd has a target ceiling based on the targets he's capable of earning and dealing with. Like I think he won't ever produce like AJ Green, even if he had a similar target market share. I think the talent earns the volume of targets. And even with AJ Green gone, he'll obviously get a higher market share without AJ Green there, but he still won't be AJ Green. And so more of them will disperse into other options on the depth chart. It just all seems to form a, a pattern for me and again like you say it's got weak signal but it's the signal i can find right it's a signal i can keep applying from one draft class to another and hopefully improve how do you go with tight ends similar process I, I think you have to be really really patient with tight ends uh wide receivers i don't know if it's two years i don't know if it's three years i've actually seen some of your research that says a two-year breakout is actually kind of more predictable than a three-year breakout that happens more often, so I would kind of agree with that. But when you look at tight ends, it's not two years, it's not three years, it's it's four to five years with tight ends. I mean, these guys don't start producing until right. they're 25, 26 years old, and that's my Eric Ebron ar- argument. Everybody says, oh, he right. didn't produce in Detroit, you exactly. know, he was crap in Detroit, and I'm like, okay, he was drafted at 21 years old. Like, these guys don't produce at those age unless you're George Kittle, unless you're O.J. Howard, unless you're Evan Ingram. That's just not something that happens with tight ends. What I think you need to do with tight ends and what I think the best method of figuring out which tight ends are actually going to pop for you is to just gather all of the athleticism that you possibly can, hold on to it, and just hope one of those guys pops. Because unlike every other uh, position in the NFL for me, I feel like there is a a stronger correlation with athletic tight ends being strong fantasy producers than unathletic tight ends being strong fantasy producers. And I think Keenan Allen is the perfect example of why this doesn't work for something like wide receivers, because you would look at Keenan Allen's uh, athleticism and you'd, I mean, why is this guy consistently uh, one of the top 12 receivers year in year out? It's because of his route running. It's because of a lot of other things because of how he's used in his offense. And it's because of um, uh, the the connection with the quarterback and uh, Phillip Rivers, low ADOT and the fact that he likes to target uh, Keenan Allen in those intermediate areas. I mean, you look at most of the top tier tight ends, Zach Ertz is a freak. Travis Kelsey's a freak. George Kittle's a freak. OJ Howard is. <laughs> Evan Ingram is. And, and you just can go down the list. Like you would rarely find guys that don't have almost crazy outliers in most of their athletic testing being bona fide tight ends. And honestly, even those guys that have those crazy athletic profiles are going to take you a number of seasons. So just gather as much talent as you can in terms of of athletic profiles and wait or do the smart thing that you do and just wait for the older guys that people have forgotten on. How much do you believe coaching staffs? Like, especially with you really focusing on trying to read the situation. That's that's really interesting that you bring that up. Um, I I try to listen to to front offices more than I listen to coaching staffs. Right. Um, Obviously, you know, coaching staffs, when you're trying to project volume, you, you really don't know what to do. 
be because you know on one hand you your your projections tell you something on the other hand if this guy's telling you that this is going to happen over and over and he's in charge maybe we should be listening to them but I try to look at the front office. I think the front office is going to be more transparent than the coaching staff because like you said, or like, like we were saying earlier in the podcast, these are the only times that these teams are truthful. And I'm going to relate this back to a situation with uh, Tyreek Hill and Sammy Watkins last season. So a lot of people thought that Sammy Watkins was going to take over that wide receiver one role because of his contract, because of, uh, you know, how, how the Chiefs played out that situation and the bidding war they got in with Dallas to eventually end up with a guy like Sammy Watkins. But I think the way that they structured that contract told you that they still had all of the faith in Tyreek Hill. And the reason why I say that is because now that Tyreek Hill's contract is actually set to lapse this season, this is the last year of Sammy Watkins' guarantees. So it looks to me like the Chiefs kind of saw this coming and they were auditioning for who was going to be that number one throughout the entire offseason even though it seemed like they were giving Sammy Watkins all that money. He signed a three-year contract, but it's really of the two-year variety when you look at the dead cap. And that was a big red flag to me because it told me that, okay, they could just as easily invest all of this money that they invested in Sammy Watkins back into Tyreek Hill and not feel anything different towards it. Like It wouldn't change the situation for them at all. And that was something that a lot of people missed that just looked at the pure contract numbers. So I think you kind of have to try to re- read between the lines of how the front offices are protecting themselves uh, in circumst- certain circumstances when they're actually uh, getting these these depth charts together. That's really interesting. One of the things I wanted to get to talk to you about um, when you a- said you'd be willing to come on and still really grateful for that, by the way, um, was contracts because, you know, people think or call me like an analytics or a numbers guy. And I'm like, one of my, uh, not secrets, but things I don't point out that sometimes I feel like pointing out is that the biggest numbers game in the NFL are contracts, salaries, and money. It has is very logically and makes a lot of sense that it's one of the most important numbers in the NFL. And I'll be honest, I barely understand most NFL contracts. Most of them are written in a way that are mostly team favorable. When I do crack open the code and understand them, I get that. But you're always someone that's on point when everyone asks. You're always there with the numbers. You understand the contracts. And I just think, look, if you want to know something about a contract, it's like, the first person I would ask. You're very on point with that. And so like a kind of an out the blue question that I wanted to ask you just to see if anything popped in your head was what contract in the NFL right now do you think is most misunderstood? Like is the one player that you think everyone thinks is getting paid, but really is not or one player that you, that we generally think isn't being invested in by the team, but really based on your understanding of contracts, he is actually being invested in on the team. Is there a situation like that that pops into your head, like the most misunderstood contract that has fantasy implication? Absolutely. One player that people think uh, is safe in a situation and could not be farther from the truth is is Jarvis Landry. Um, People think because Jarvis Landry got that huge contract, because he got that huge deal, um, that you know, he's going to be on the, on the Browns for the long haul uh, because they, they paid him to be their wide receiver one. Now with Odell Beckham Jr. in town, it doesn't look like those two salaries really match up. I think the Browns are paying the most in salary to their wide receivers. At least they were before the whole uh, Thielen deal uh, also paired with the Diggs deal. I don't know what the numbers are now. I haven't checked since then. Um, but at least as, uh, as of um, the beginning of the offseason, before these things were doled out, the Browns were weighing above uh, in terms of wide receiver salary uh, paid to 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 their wide receiver room. 
Jarvis Landry's contract, just like Devonta Freeman's contract, it's not real. <laughs> the years that you see on those on those contracts are not real. Uh, what you see is that there is guaranteed money that has almost already been paid out and that they have pretty much one more year where it's favorable for those teams to keep them on that team. Now, that's not to say that they can't be restructured, and that's not to say that the cap is not going to increase in future seasons. But if you actually look at what their cap number is versus their dead cap hit, that tells you a lot about how that team perceives them. Another thing that I would actually put out there as well that a lot of people don't necessarily know about is you need to take a look at a guy like Mike Evans' contract. Mike Evans is great. He's an awesome receiver. I think you need to also understand that that team paid him his money up front. Uh, That's the way that they structured that deal. I'm not sure if it's uh, this year or next year, but very soon before his, his total deal ends, he is not going to have any guaranteed money remaining on that deal. He's not going to have any dead cap associated with that deal. So if they need to move him, if he, for example, gets injured and they don't pay him $15 million, they can get out of that without paying a single dime. So I really do think it's important to look at these things and kind of make narrative for yourself that uses that, that lets you understand what deals can the team get out of and what deals are the team tied to uh, for years after the fact. Wow, those, those are just not the names I expected to come out of your mouth. That's why that's why I wanted to ask. And and seriously, guys, Eden's not wrong. This is stuff you need to know. And it, like I try and crack open contracts, but I can never be entirely sure I fully understand the math because they are written specifically complex, uh, specifically in a way that's meant to hide stuff like that. And um, that's really interesting. I would not have expected Mike Evans and Jarvis Landry to be, you know, the first names that occurred to you. So that's fantastic because I want to make hate arguments for both of them. So that, that'll help. I really appreciate that. Um, <laughs> going back to rookies or even players, especially bringing in contracts, who's the player that you really want right now, whether it's a rookie or not? Like, who are you just, you just got to have? There's like a, somebody that you absolutely need on your teams. Um, if you haven't heard me, I'm sure you've heard it somewhere else. Jeffrey is not going to be a Philadelphia Eagle in 2020. Zach Ertz is kind of on this as well. And you understand that a guy like Dallas Goddard uh, was drafted behind him. You should probably start to to worry how Harry Roseman feels about that current deal. I'll be honest, that's the first argument against Zach Ertz I've heard that actually made me a little worried about Zach Ertz. And also, I love the J.J. Sega Whiteside love. I know it's um, his name is not said, Arcega, but I can't let go of the Sega nickname, by the way. Arcega? Arcega Whiteside? Is yeah, that no. what we're going with now? Arcega? I know. <laughs> And respect the player and all, but like Sega is such a cool nickname. The thing I'm trying to ask all my my guest co-hosts this year is who are the players or who is the player that you're finally willing to cut off your roster? You've been holding them and to make room for Sega Whiteside or someone else, they've just made the cut list. And is there a reason um, or are there reasons you you specifically target players to cut? I, I don't know if I'm going to give you a specific name on this, but I, I have real issues with guys who have had massive volume and had massive volume or at least had the opportunity to gain massive volume for multiple seasons and haven't produced. Um, if you don't get the volume to show us what you can do, um, if you're a guy that's decent in a bit part role, or even if you're a guy that's not necessarily great in a bit part role, but you've always been in a bit part role, 
you know, I really don't know. I, at that point, I think that you deserve being on a roster spot because maybe you flashed at one point and given opportunity, given volume, maybe something can be different. But if you're a guy like Devontae Parker, if you're a guy like Josh Doxson, if you're a guy that had every opportunity to make it happen year after year after year, and maybe Devontae Parker isn't even the best example of this just because he got Adam Gase, but that's neither here nor there. If you've had that opportunity year after year after year and you're not able to produce, I mean, about three years of that and I'm I'm, I'm done with it. I, I don't necessarily care, which is why my patience for a guy like Corey Davis is wearing very, very, very thin <laughs> because um, like we've seen him as the only guy. And I understand it's hard to produce as the only guy, but when you when you take that away, when you when you take volume away, in what it looks like is going to happen to a guy like Corey Davis, I, I, I really think if you're not backing that up with with elite level efficiency, then then you're really really close to to following to falling off the map. So, I would never cut a guy like Corey Davis personally, just because I know the perceived value of him means that I'd be better served trading him, but I'd never have him on my team. And a guy like Josh Doxson is a guy I'd be cutting right now, just because I've never seen it from him, and he's had multiple opportunities uh, to be the main guy and just hasn't taken that over both in healthy offenses and in offenses uh, with, uh, with injuries all around him. So I, I worry about those types of folks uh, specifically. I think that's a really good rule. It fits in with some of the things I think, like if you can't earn opportunity, especially when you like you say, it's kind of there, it's waiting for you. It's open. A similar problem with Ronald Jones last year. A deeper name, just to, you know, Devontae Parker and Josh Duxon get identified pretty easily by, you know, any simple role for players to cut. But one that your your thought here identified for me was Zach Pascal on the Colts last year. Like, he earned targets, and there was plenty Chester of opportunity Rogers, there, even with T.Y. Hilton. Yeah, Chester Rogers too. He's done it multiple years, and it's why I've never come in on him. That and the main exactly. argument for him is athleticism, not college production, and I lean the other way. Chester so, yeah, Rogers, I think, really I think was uh, the number one uh, that I would go as soon as you you mentioned Zach Pascal. My, it took my mind over the Colts, and yeah, I I, I thought that Chester Rogers had had a decent athletic profile uh, last season. T. Y. Hilton was out in, in multiple stretches, so Chester Rogers had every opportunity to um, kind of. Uh, make that slot receiver position his and he got beat out he got beat right. out multiple times by different players um at the end of the year he Just got beat out by Dontrell Inman who's himself an outside receiver so uh, I'm, I'm I'm done with players like that that had every opportunity in a great offense yeah it's kind of what I yeah it's kind of what I think of the Green Bay situation I get buying a cheap ticket to who could be the wide receiver two there but I don't think any of them are Randall Cobb they were all next manned up every time they were injured the next one just filled in just as well even in a different role so I think that's more the team more Aaron Rodgers I get buying the free ticket I think everyone should at least get one of those guys but I don't have a lot of faith in it Chester Rodgers is a great name for it Um, I actually I get a little confused it's a little more difficult when I think of someone like Pettis, who was low on as a rookie, just his college profile. I didn't think it was – he never broke the average line, but he was always consistently just under it. So I was a little torn on him anyway. In his first year, I have to say the targets he earned when healthy were really impressive, but I still don't think he did very much with them. So I don't know how to cut cut that cake. Um, but it's a similar type of problem where the target, the opportunity was there. It was impressive that he earned them as a rookie, but he didn't 
do enough rhythm really like um is that a player who you've also tagged with that kind of problem or is it easier for you to decide because of your love for um uh, <laughs> yeah, a fellow whose name we won't ever mention again. Uh, no, 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 no. Demon Samuels is fine. Um, so, how do you think about Pettis? I just worry about Dante Pettis because I, I see a lot of of problems to him getting targets. Um, even if even if he beats out Debo, even if he is the wide receiver two on that team, what does the wide receiver on that two two on that team really mean? Because now they have three running backs, all of which can catch passes. Uh, They're all going to be second guy on the totem pole behind George Kittle, regardless, in the best case scenario. And then, I mean, how much is that team really going to pass when they do have all of that talent in the backfield? I mean, they already had uh, Jarek McKinnon, who they paid a boatload of money last season on the team uh, to be their starting running back. And then they went out and they got Tevin Coleman, too, on top of Matt Breida. And that's not even to mention the myriad of other guys they have on that team it looks to me that that's, I mean, somebody at least in that is going to hit. If not, you know, a, a few of them are, are going to be relatively decent this year. So I just don't know what the total pie is when it comes to looking at the situation as a whole on that team. So even though I do like Debo Samuel, like I said, and I will continue to reiterate this, I do not see really that much production coming from any wide receiver on that team and any wide receiver in this class outside of i will i will maintain that i do think that Nikhil harry is going to see volume uh, anything else you want to mention apart from your fantastically awesome dynasty diagnostic podcast that i really do listen to every week and i think everyone should try to it's uh but you try to have a different perspective and i really like the whole idea of just breaking down rosters that people that follow you right in and with them they tell they tell you your roster and all three of you go through it with your different processes and say what will your moves be are you trying to compete who would you aim for who would you try to trade away and i think that's really in depth and like you say sometimes it runs long but i think those deep breakdowns of individual rosters really help show how to think through a roster yeah i i appreciate uh, all the uh the the love that you're showing the show um it's not me at all. Like we 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 have people like Liz Loza and Matt Harmon on the podcast. People tune in to listen to them. Really, it's not me. It's not Sam. So let that be clear. Um, but in terms of just you know what I'm doing, kind of outside of that, uh, you can find most of my work on Fantrax. Uh, you could probably see some of it on Dynasty Trade Calculator coming soon. Um, there might be a listener league for the Dynasty Diagnostic coming soon as well. Um, I will probably be making a, a real announcement about that soon. I don't know. Honestly, I, I'm doing so many things at once that I just I don't know when I'm going to have the time to actually get this thing going. MFL is not easy. Um, but uh, but beyond <laughs> that, uh, that's that, that's really that's really all I'm doing right now. I really appreciate you taking extra time out to come on this one. I also really appreciate the way you always go for the heart. I mean, you are just. <laughs> You are vicious, Ethan. You're like, we're just trying to teach you how to think because you need to know how to think. Like, you just <laughs> right for the heart, man. You, you don't know how to think, and I'm going to teach you. Like, I love your style, dude. I love it. I say we, we're going to teach you how to think. I, like I said, I, I mean Josh Hermsmeyer, Josh Hornsby. <laughs> Those people are going to teach you how to think. We're going to take you along uh, our ride with them. That's 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 the main thing here. No, don't couch it. Ethan knows how to think. He's going to teach you how to think right. That's that's the truth of it. So, yeah, check out the podcast. Uh, thanks for coming on again, Ethan. It's, I've had a whale of a time. It's been fantastic. And thanks to anyone who happened to listen to us talking about football tonight. 
I hope you had a great time too. Maybe learn something or at least learn about another good podcast to try and fit into your week. Really appreciate it. And we will talk to you again next week at the crossroads. Bye. That was great, man. You're at the dynasty crossroads that filming analytics create. Hey, dynasty crossroad audience, you thought I forgot to do the Scott Fishball raffle. Well, I didn't. I was just putting the names into randomresult.com and it's producing a number right now to see who on the list that Jake sent over for me gets a golden ticket into the Scott Fishball 9 this year. And the answer is number seven Scott Atkins at Scott Fantasy on Twitter. Thanks for taking part. Congratulations. Welcome to the Scott Fishball. Come get a taste. And thanks from everyone here at the Crossroads to everyone that took part. We really appreciate it. Um, good luck this year. Hopefully you'll get into the Scott Fishball nine another way. And Scott, please contact Jake Anderson at JakeAndersonFF on Twitter to find out all you need to know about how to claim your golden ticket. Thanks again, guys. And we'll talk to you again next week. The Dynasty Crossroads that film and analytics create. Peter crunches numbers and Jake just grinds that tape.